Wow, watching that makes me tired. How about you? Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Happy Easter to you. We're so glad you're here for the kickoff Sunday of our detox message series. Now, like Greg said, the reason we're calling this Green Easter is because we're going to get green. We're going to learn how to manage, prioritize, evaluate kind of what's going on in our life to get rid of the clutter, to detox, if you will, to get down to what we believe God ultimately had for us to begin with. Now, my favorite passage in the Bible dealing with Easter uh, goes like this. It says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, in your mortal bodies. So when I read that passage, I read it this way. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me. Now, if I'm honest with you, I have to be, you know, totally candid and say that my life doesn't always look like the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in my life. And I bet if you were completely honest, you'd say the same thing, that you don't always have it all together. Things aren't always working smoothly. You don't always make the right choices. And today we're going to look at something specific about why that is and what we can do about it, because what we wanted to do on this Easter Sunday was not just celebrate the risen Jesus. That would be good enough, and that's phenomenal, but we wanted to actually grab hold of what he wants for us, and the whole reason he gave us life to begin with. We want to grab hold of that so that the power of God can work in our lives as well. Now, Jill and I, that's my wife, I'm Ben, we have four kids, and raising four kids is an adventure. It's a lot of fun. And we, we've observed something. We've kind of had this, uh, this moment with each of our kids, and with one of them several times, um, where we've walked by their bedroom. Parents, you'll be able to relate. Aunt, aunts and uncles, some of you, you've, you've seen this. You've lived it. We'll walk by their bedroom, and it's just obvious by the odors coming out of the room and the junk just kind of spilling out of the doorway that it's time for the room to be cleaned. Parents, you ever seen that happen? And so this has happened with almost every one of our kids. We'll, we'll do, you know, go along for a good long run and then we'll say to them, you need to go upstairs and clean your room. And they don't go the first time, so we have to, you know, do it a second time. Go clean your room. Finally, I have to threaten something that I'm probably never going to do anyway, but I threaten them. And eventually, they go stomping up the stairs and begin to clean their room. And th- with every one of our kids, this has happened. About five minutes later, they'll come downstairs and say, I'm done. I'm done. And this, this is where it, gets, where, where it gets fun, because you go upstairs, and, and depending on their skill set, they've done a remarkable job of cleaning the clutter off the floor. But as parents, we know now, don't open the closet, because everything has just gotten stuffed into the closet, filling every nook and cranny. Have you seen that happen? Now listen, when we talk about a crowded, overstuffed closet uh, with our kids, it's a little comical. It's, it's a little, you know, funny and no, no real harm there. What I want to talk with you today is not about messy closets, overfilled and overstuffed. I want to talk with you today about an overfilled, overstuffed life. And while it can be funny and comical to watch your kids try to, you know, fake a cleaning and just kind of stuff it all away, there's nothing funny at all watching that happen in somebody's life. It's not okay for your life to look like a messy closet. Your garage can be messy, mine is. Your attic can be messy. Your basement, your closet... But when our lives are messy, it's not funny. It's not just an inconvenience. There's actually a price to pay. So while everything else can be in disarray and your stuff can be unorganized, and depending on your personality, you, you probably, you know, like are not even wanting me to say that it's okay for your stuff to be messy. You might be like highly organized and, you know, everything has to be in its place. And when I say it's okay for your stuff to be organized, you know that that's not the way God wanted it for people. I mean, after all, he spaced the planet so far apart. Clearly, he likes things to have their own place. And, 
And, and others of you are like, yes, I knew that I could be messy and that's the way God wired me and it's okay. And see, mom, leave me alone. Ben said it's okay to be messy. Well, all of our stuff can be messy when your life is messy, which is what we're going to talk about today. Not so good. It's not funny when your finances are a mess. It's not funny when your calendar is a mess. And it's not funny when your relationships are a mess. And yet we can do in our lives, in our finances, in our calendars, in our relationships, exactly what we tend to do, what my kids tend to do with their closets. As we get in our hurry, we want to clean it up. It's obvious to us that there are some challenges and we just want to stuff it all away. You and I have seen people do this. Maybe you've lived it. I know I've lived a little bit of this where we see parents who are so busy carting their kids around from event to event to event that the very things they signed up to do to have fun and enjoyment and get recreation eventually begin to lose the enjoyment factor. And the very thing we'd be filled our lives up with to have a sense of fulfillment and meaning and enjoyment, now it's so full and so stuffed and every nook and cranny of the calendar is full that the very things we signed up to enjoy to do are doing anything but producing a sense of joy and enjoyment in us. And sometimes it feels like, if you're like me in our house, you don't even really have a choice in the matter because you're just stuck. And there's, there's the pressures of life or the pressure of the job or the pressure of the kids or the, the pressure of your own goals and ambition. And you just have to fill every moment or else you're not going to get it all done. And if you're like me, sometimes you'll tell yourself, this is just a season of life and eventually this will pass. And you're telling yourself that like I have for the last eight years. It's just a, a season and, and this will pass. Now the truth of the matter is some of us, many of us, it's been true for me, are very good about filling my life up so full that there's no margin left. There's no margin left in my life. Now when I was in high school, we'd be given an assignment to read. And we'd, you know, they'd pass out the books and we'd have to read so many pages over the reading schedule. One of the first things I would do is I'd open the book to see if there was any pictures. Because if there was pictures, it meant that there was a little less reading to do. And then the second thing I would do is I would notice how much edging there was around the page because I didn't like the books that didn't have pictures and where the words went all the way to the edge because it meant if you had to read 25 of those pages, it was going to take a long time. There was no margin left around the edges. And the truth of the matter is, is that for many of us in our lives, that's exactly the way we are. There's very little margin left. And it's not that what we're doing is bad or wrong. In fact, sometimes it's full of very good stuff. But because there's no margin left, we don't even enjoy what we're doing. There's no room to stick anything else have you ever seen a couple who's so maxed out in their calendar or with their finances when a bump or a crisis comes that it doesn't just interrupt the calendar or the finances? Here's where it gets sad. It begins to affect the relationship. When something unexpected happens, the relationship actually takes a hit. Now, believe it or not, God in the Bible talks about this. In, in the book that some of you are carrying today, many of you have it on your little electronic device. I have it on my iPad here. Uh, iPad here. What, what God tells us in that word are principles about managing the life that he's given us, the one life. You only get one of them. And he's given us principles to manage that life so that we have margin. Because here, here's a basic truth about life, that margin is the space between our current pace and our personal limits. 
It's the space we have between the pace of our life and the limits we personally have. Now, your margins may be different than mine. Your margins, you might be able to have a whole lot more capacity when it comes to time management because you're more disciplined and you're more organized than I am. Or, or you may have a whole lot more capacity financially than I have or capacity, or capacity emotionally or relationally than I have. But everybody has a limit somewhere. And when you live to the full extent of your limits in life financially, on your calendar, relationally, emotionally, with your time, the enjoyment factor of life, rather than increasing because your life is so full, actually tends to decrease. Now, before I even get into the Bible stuff and try to show you how God's word relates to life and how that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us to deal with these realities, before I even get there, you can already agree with me that you have seen and maybe you have experienced people who are so full and everything is so crowded that the enjoyment has been sucked away from their life. You've maybe even experienced it this way, that you're running maybe five or ten minutes late for a meeting you're supposed to be at, something important. And it's in, inevitably true. Does, does, it, does it happen to you that when you're running a little bit late, you get behind the slow car? Yeah, isn't that frustrating? I don't know how that works. Or you get behind the garbage truck or you get behind the school bus, right? I, I have a rule. I have a rule that says I don't ever want to be the first person in line at a red light because what that means is, is I missed my opportunity the last cycle to go ahead and speed through the yellow light. Have you ever, Yeah. Yeah. When I'm in a hurry, that's, that's the way I go. Now, again, it's kind of comical when you think about that. And everybody's experienced the, the, the tension that grows from being late because you didn't have enough margin. You didn't create enough time to get where you need to go. Sometimes your own choices, sometimes things happen to you. But when that happens across the spectrum of your life, it's not enjoyable anymore. And for those of us that are following Jesus, to say that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us, and we look at our lives sometimes that are so full, and the truth is it's absent of enjoyment and it's absent of any real activity of God in our life helping us and directing us and guiding us and giving us that sense of peace and enjoyment of life that God wants for us. Now, in this message series today and for the next three weeks, I'm not going to try to convince you to buy into God's agenda. I think God's agenda for your life stands on its own, and I've always failed at arguments when I try to convince people to do that. But I do want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to consider what is your own agenda for your life. Because sometimes, and if my sense is right, especially in, a, in, in communities like ours surrounding this church, you know, Westchester and Liberty and Mason and Fairfield, and when I look at communities like ours, I think more often than not, this busyness and fullness and overstuffedness and a sense of expectations that are yet to be met pervades our life. And what happens is the very things we really want way down deep rather than being in our grasp because we're so busy and always running, they actually are elusive. And rather than bringing us joy, it typically, I think, helps us to experience a sense of joylessness. Rather than giving us the peace that we're actually walking in the direction to hit our real goals, I think it actually robs us of peace. You have a pace that you're currently running relationally. You have a pace that you're currently running with your calendar. You have a pace that you're currently running with your finances. And yet we have limits. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. There are limits. We can't do all that we want to do. And we have to figure out how we're going to live in our limits. How to detox so that all these other pressures don't 
pervade our life and overwhelm our life and take hostage our very own goals and ambitions and hopes and dreams. We have to get healthy on this. Get healthy on this, to get, to get green at this. Because see, here's what's at stake if we don't make margin or, or room to breathe in our life. Here's what's at stake. It isn't that we aren't going to make progress. Oh, you'll make lots of progress if you stay very busy on some things. And it isn't that we're going to not get prosperous. I mean, the truth is you can work yourself up and get very prosperous. It isn't that you won't make progress or that you won't get prosperous. The truth is, is if we don't get good about creating margin and live the life of, of peace that God wants us to live and live the life with appropriate boundaries where he wants us to have, what will be at stake for us isn't prosperity or progress. It literally will be the peace that he promises us. And if Easter is about anything, it's about the words first spoken by the angels to the people who came to visit the tomb and discovered it was empty. And the angel spoke to them and said, don't be afraid. Have peace. You don't have to live life this way. It's the broader implication of those statements. If we don't take time, then what's at stake in our lives is our peace. When we're always pushed to the limit, when we always feel like there's more to do, a couple of things happen, and you, again, you, you don't have to like, be argumentative with me yet to see if you can agree with this or not, but when the stress go, or when we get pushed to the limit, here's something that happens. Our stresses go up. Have you ever noticed, again, back to that car, and you're running a little bit late, and you're watching the thing, and you know you're normally pretty nice, but you find yourself yelling at the car in front of you, and they can't even hear you, but somehow vocalizing how stupid they are makes you feel better about your situation? Yeah, your stress goes up when we're pushed to the limit. It really does. And you see this happen with the, the car scenario. You see it happen with finances. When you run to the limit of your finances and your limit is like at your ultimate limit and that's where you're living, the smallest adjustment unexpected to your finances creates an overwhelming sense of stress. When there's just like that one more unexpected bill, the stress definitely goes up. Here's another thing that happens when we always live life to the full edge and we take it all the way in and there's no margin left. Our focus narrows, and we don't even see other realities going on around us. We don't even see other realities, and sometimes those realities are very important. It's, it's, it's illustrated like this. And so I'm standing a good three to four feet back off this stage because, I don't know, it's four, four and a half feet or so down from the stage. Now, now here's something I've noticed when I'm speaking. If I stay back here, I can stay focused on my notes, what I want to say. But the closer I get to the stage, you know what I start thinking about? The closer I get to the edge here, I start thinking about how far do I get to go? How far do I get to go? And my, my thought process about what I'm needing to stay focused on and what's really important, what's really going on in my moment, begins to be overshadowed by the impending sense that if I fall, I'm going to embarrass myself and maybe get hurt. Of course, embarrassment is worse, right? Um, so I stay back. I stay comfortably back a couple of feet so that I have margin here to stay focused. And when I when I lose my margin, I lose focus on other things, and I tend to focus on that thing that's pulling me, that I feel the pressure on. It's totally normal, but it may not be healthy. It may not be healthy, so my stress goes up, and I tend to see only the things right in front of me. Now, there are seasons in life when you have to focus on the thing right in front of you, but if you always focus only on the thing right in front of you, then there are other things going on around you that you'll lose focus on. And I want to submit to you that these other things that are going on in life, not just the thing right in front of you, can be very important. 
In fact, they may ultimately be what you care about more, but in the moment, you're so focused here, you don't even see it. So stress goes up. My focus narrows. And many times, my relationships suffer. Uh, back in the middle of, of December, we moved into this new facility, and man, it has been a life-changing thing uh, for this church, for me personally. But for the several months leading up to that, myself and many, many, a couple, you know, almost 250 people had literally helped put this building together and shape it and mold it, hang uh, the different stuff on the walls and put everything in place. And I mean, we literally built it as a church. And there were moments in that time, which was a season and limited, where I was so focused on the thing that if I were totally honest with you, the other priorities going on around me took a hit. I mean, I couldn't do everything. Now, it was understandable. The people around me gave me lots of grace. But the most important things in my life, like, for instance, my, my time with God, that's a big deal to me, didn't get quite the attention it deserved. And my time with my wife and my kids, they, it didn't get quite the attention. Everybody was gracious. There was room for that. But there had to come a point when I had to step back and say, all right, this is important, but that's not my focus. We're not even building a church for a building. We're building a church for people. And here I have these people in my life, and they're not even getting the time I deserve because they get so focused that not only do you forget important things, one of the primary things we tend to forget when we're overstressed and the life is overfull is the relationships around us suffer. If you're married, maybe, maybe you've experienced it this way that you're pushing the limits so far financially, you're living on edge financially, that every time money comes up, you fight. Because it's no longer just about money, but somehow that marginlessness has created anxiety and stress, and now the relationship is taking a hit. Now, I don't know where you are in life, but everybody is susceptible to this dynamic. Everyone is susceptible to this dynamic. And here's a basic premise I'm operating on. And see, see, even if you don't buy into like the whole Jesus thing, because what we're talking about here isn't just a Jesus thing. It, we believe it's true because Jesus created the world to operate this way, but you don't have to buy into that. I think you'll find it's just practically helpful as well. Here's what we think, that your happiness can be measured by the quality of your relationships, not simply your prosperity or your progress. You can be wildly wealthy and prosperous and not have enjoyed living life when you get to the end of your days if the quality of your relationships weren't there. And you can have made a lot of progress in some field of life and be at the head of the class in whatever discipline you enjoy. And if the relationships, the quality of your relationships aren't there, then the enjoyment factor isn't there. For most of us, we'll enjoy life and know that our lives were lived well if the quality of our relationships around us are functioning in a healthy way where we're loved by people and we love people, where we are known, really known beyond the surface by a few people, and we really know a few people, where our lives are celebrated, and when you win, people celebrate with you, and you celebrate with others, and jealousy has been pulled back, and there's just a real enjoyment in watching those you love experience blessing in their life. And when the quality of our relationships are high, our enjoyment is high. And yet we still tend to fill our lives and, and work, 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 and every nook and cranny completely filled in and it's funny when a kid's closet is a mess, but it's a tragedy when you look at an adult and that metaphor of the messy closet has pulled over into their life. There's nothing, nothing funny about that. So what, what drives 
What drives us to do this? What drives our schedule to, to be that way? What drives us to, to run our finances all the way to the limit? What drives us to have no margin left emotionally or relationally? What, what's really at work there in my spending, in my emotions? Now, there are a lot of things that it could be. It could be. Now, I, I think deep down, I, I think it tends to be fear. It may not be all that. It could be that you would say to me, Ben, uh, part of it is I'm just not disciplined. And so I get myself in these ruts because I don't do what I need to do in a timely manner. And I say, hey, that, that, that's probably right. You might need to work on that a little bit. And some of you might say, hey, I'm just in a season of life where my boss has put pressure on me or, or in, in finals. And so everything's due right now. And I, good, that's temporary. That largely can be managed. But beyond that, don't, don't you see around you? Haven't you seen maybe the tendency in your own life to just feel that there's no room left to breathe? that you're being squeezed on every level, that there are these expectations that you need to meet? What drives that? I really think it's fear. I mean, maybe, you, maybe you hear it this way. I'm afraid that, and then they fill in the blank. I'm afraid that I'll miss out. <laughs> that, that if I don't miss out, then my kids are going to miss out. And so what we have to do is we have to fill the calendar. So it's not okay for my daughter to just take gymnastics. She has to take gymnastics and soccer and dance and be in the band and National Honors Club and president of her class. And when, when we've done all the stuff, then, then somehow my fear that I won't provide for her every experience, that she won't get into the best colleges and universities, that she won't, it, it really is a, often a drive for fear that propels us to just fill not only our lives, but the lives of the people we have influence on. I think fear also, the fear of falling behind. You know, um, she has a girl, or she has a boyfriend, and, and I don't even have one yet, or, or all my friends are getting married, and I don't, I don't even have somebody I'm dating. Or, or, or they, they know exactly what they're going to do in life, and I haven't even figured out what I'm going to do yet. And this fear that somehow as we look around as everybody else is doing better than us, and somehow we've got to catch up to this standard that we perceive that they have. And we, we, look at, we look at the vacations people take, or the house they drive, or the, the clothes they wear, and the house they drive. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Those drivable houses are remarkable, aren't they? Ah, the, the, the RVs. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody's helping me from the front row. I'm in RVs. I'm in RVs. Um, <laughs> you have we got friends at Four Corners. But the cars they drive and the houses they live in, you look at those things and you think, man, if, if somehow if I don't provide that, if I don't experience that, somehow I'm missing out. And we do this comparative thing. Parents, you've seen your kids do this in middle school where they come home and, and the, the language is very exaggerated and everybody does this and everybody's done this and I'm the only one. And you have to kind of talk them off the ledge about how even if everybody else did... I'm here as a parent to help you figure out what's best for you and quit looking at everybody else. But this comparative thing often led by fear that somehow somebody else is going to get something and we're going to fall behind everybody else will motivate us to just keep filling and, and, and stuffing and cramming our lives. And we get so focused on the thing in front of us and yet all around us very important things that need our attention aren't getting done. Now fear of not mattering is the, ult the ultimate one, though, I think, that I see around here. That somehow we're going to live life and it isn't going to have made an impact, that it's not going to have been significant. Most of the folks who come to this church and stick, not, not all, but many of them, they're kind of like goal-oriented and, and they want their lives to matter. And the idea of coming to the end of their days and not having made a difference, having just lived but not made a difference, is just, well, it's scary. And some of that's very good. But sometimes it has a dark side as well, and it propels us to just go, go, go. And the very thing we really want, which is to have influence, especially with the people we love, gets lost on us. 
How many, how many people have you known who have pushed themselves and they come to the end of the day and they realize that while they did a lot of good things, the ultimate things they wanted weren't in their grasp. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been beside the bed of a lot of people who were very ill. And when they talk about what they really would like more time to be able to do, it's always around loving people and being in relationships and, and, and having a little bit more time to have some more conversation. Our fear of not mattering or not making a difference has the potential to draw us away from what matters most. So today, it's an invitation for you to ask yourself, what matters most to you? Are you on a path to get there? The truth is, is we have an opportunity today to think differently about our fears, to open the Bible and to have a contrast in our lives about what is fear-based and what is faith-based, what is fear-based and where there can be trust. I want us to look at, very quickly at three examples in the Bible of, of where God built into the everyday rhythm of life this comparative between fear and trust, living a fear-based life. They're getting ahead and I'm not. They're going to experience and I'm not. I'm not going to make a difference and trust. There are three big areas in the, in the life of the Old Testament where God built it into the rhythm. Some of these maybe you've heard before, but the first one is in the Sabbath, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was taking a day off. Now, now, go back in time with me a little bit to where every Israelite was a slave in Egypt. And they didn't have to worry about their calendars because when they got up in the morning, they were going to work. And when they wanted to eat, it didn't matter because they were going to eat when they were told. And when they wanted to go to the bathroom, it didn't matter. They were going to go to the bathroom when they were told. And everything they did was fully scheduled out. They knew every morning when they got up, you're going to work. And every night when you go to bed, you're going to have worked. That's the way it's going to be. And then God sets them free, delivers them by Moses, and sends them into the promised land. And yet they don't know how to live as free people. And God wants them to live as free people. He wants them to detox all that slavery mentality and live as free people. So he gives them principles and rules to live by to help them experience freedom. And here's one of the top 10. You're going to work six days, but you're not going to work every day. You're going to take time off. Now you have to love a God who says, you can't work all the time. You need to take time off. It's hard in America to understand this because we're used to two days off every week. But if you've been a slave where you never got a day off, if you got sick, they just let you die because we're not going to spend money on medicine for slaves. They're replaceable. And God comes to you and says, I want you to experience freedom. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to work for six days and then you're going to take a day off. And when you take the Sabbath, you're basically saying, I trust you, God. And here's how you're saying I trust you. Because up to this point, if you didn't work, then you didn't have enough food for, to begin the next day, and you barely had enough food for that day, and if you were lucky, maybe you had a little bit left over. You had to go milk the cow and pull your own grain and make your own bread. It's not like today. They didn't run to the refrigerator. They literally had to make their stuff daily as they were using it, and just the idea of taking a day off and not doing that literally sounded dangerous, and here was God saying, take a day off, because when you take a Sabbath, you trust me, but when you use all your time to work, other very important things suffer. God built in a rhythm of a day off so they could focus spiritually. They could focus on health. They could focus on their family. These very important things that tend to lose, we tend to lose focus on when we're busy. Here's the second one. It's the principle of the tithe. Now, every Jewish family had a jar in their house. And when the money of the day was earned, they spent most of it, but a portion got set aside so they could give that money to what was important to the family. 
The principle here was is that don't spend everything that comes in. Don't run it all the way up to the mark, but set aside some money for things that are important to you and your family. And in this case, ultimately, it was giving to the house of God. But every Jewish kid grew up with a jar that they walked by and mom walked by and dad walked by that said to them, we don't live all the way to the end of our financial margin. We put some back. And so early on, built into the Jewish culture was this idea that money isn't there to be simply spent. We can do something else with it. We can spend a lot, but we can also direct our money as well. And a third way that was built into the everyday rhythm of life, this idea of margin and just not living in a fear-based reality was the idea of the gleanings. In an agricultural society, you had to go glean the field. So you would pull the wheat and some of it would get in your hand, others of it would drop. And when it came to the gleanings, which was a normal everyday activity for most people in the culture, here's what Leviticus, the book of the law says in 19, chapter 19, verse 9 through 10. It says, when you reap the harvest of the land, Do not reap the very edges of your field. Don't go all the way to the edge or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't pick up the stuff that fell. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen, but leave that other stuff for the poor. The idea was that you would think that if you, if you, you know, needed to get your food every day, you'd get every bit of it you could, but God said, look, leave a little bit extra because that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to care for the poor and we're going to care for the foreigner. When you're done, they're going to be able to come in and pick up the extra. There'll be room. There'll be some margin left. And when you look at verse 10, here's how the verse actually ends. It says, leave them for the poor and the foreigner, for I am the Lord your God. This will be a matter of trust. In Deuteronomy, he says it this way. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheep, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. The idea is built into the rhythm of everyday life when they were looking at their needs and their wants and what they thought they had to do to survive. They were creating this margin in their life. Don't go all the way to the edge of the field, but back off a little bit and don't pick up what falls and don't go over it a second time. Build into the rhythm this idea that there will be excess. There'll be room, breathing room, because it's in the margins of life, friends, that relationships grow, that marriages are strengthened, that communication with parents happen with their kids. It's in the margins that you sit down and have dinner together and talk and turn off the electronics. It's in the margin that you can pray and actually focus on what's going on in your life. It's in the margin of life when you have some extra room and you're not so compressed, you can come to church and actually consider what's being said and take time to pause and lift your eyes up to your creator and not just be worried about what's on your calendar next. It's in the margins of life you have room to deal with those things, that messy stuff that happens in family that requires your attention in the moment, not just later. You can't plan every conversation that has to happen. So we have to create margin in order to experience and enjoy the very things we ultimately really want. Think about the husband. This this story has happened so too often. The wife is wanting a lot of stuff and she's pushing him to work and he's driven on his own and he wants to work and he wants progress and prosperity and there's nothing wrong with that. And so together they partnered to create this mentality where he's always working and 20 years later they both wake up and realize they don't love each other anymore. And he realizes he spent a lot of time on work and not enough in his relationship. And she's bitter and frustrated even though she was a part of the dynamic all along. And so now, when he never had time to focus on the relationship before, now he's able to find all kinds of time, hour upon hour, to focus on salvaging a broken relationship. Where he never had time before, now there's instantly time to focus on this important thing because the urgency of the moment is so clear. The truth was he had time all along. 
The very time he's creating out of thin air now to attend to the devastation, he had to tend to keeping the thing healthy. But there was no margin in the moment. The closet of his life was too full. Jesus said it this way. So don't worry, in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the people who serve other gods, they run after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first God's kingdom. Get the right things right. First is God's kingdom. And then his right way of living, that's what righteousness means. God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. When you have margin, you can manage the trouble of the day. When you don't, you're always focused on that thing that fear or the culture is propelling you to focus on. And if the power of the resurrected Christ is anything, it's about our connection to God, but also the kind of life that he wants us to live here right now. So let me ask you, which limits are going to drive you? Because you're limited. I'm limited. We're all limited. You may have more than I, but you're limited. So which limits are going to drive you? The limits of our culture, which constantly promotes and advertises to you? This is the car you need. This is the way you need to live. This is how you need to go. This is the experience you need. These are the people you need to sleep with. This is the job you need to have in order to feel good about yourself. Is that going to be the thing that drives you and helps you understand your limits? That's where you're going to push yourself to? Or is it going to be your fear, your fear of progress or your comparative feels that some of others are going to get there and you're not? Or maybe third, and I think this is the healthier way, the limits that your heavenly father imposes on you and says, as I look at the freedom I want for you, here are the rhythms I want you to build into your life. Here's where I'd like you to have margin in your calendar. Here's where I'd like you to have margin financially so that you're not just driven by the money in, money out thing. And here's where I'd like you to have margin in your relationship so that you have time to attend to the people you care about. The resurrected Jesus and the power that raised him from the dead, the Bible says, is that work in us to not just exist, but to live the way God wants us to live. And it boils down to this. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Or are you going to work this in on your own? Are you going to go from relationship to relationship or feeling empty to feeling empty as you try to just fill your life and fill your life? Or will you learn the rhythms of trust? The rhythms of trust. And will, will the resurrection be something that you nod to and assent to? Or will you do your best to grab hold of that power and bring it into your reality so that you can live? And ultimately, I think... Grab hold of your very own goals and hopes in life. I think that's the life that is offered to us in Christ. That the very longings of our heart is what God wants for us anyway. He wants us to live in freedom and he breaks the shackles of slavery and we really are free. And then he tells us the rhythms of life to live so that we can maintain that freedom so that what's important going on around us actually gets our attention and then we have enough room to engage it. I'm not talking to you from a guy that's achieved. I'm a guy who's learning. And learning again in a big way over the last 12 months that I have limitations. And, and even saying that causes me a certain amount of, of stress. 
Because I want to I want to project this image that I've got it all together and that I live these principles. And it's not you. You don't do this. You guys are the most gracious church I've ever been a part of in my life. It's me. It's the drive I have in me. And yet I'm learning in a fresh and new way that the power of Christ, the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power of God at work in the resurrection can be at work in my life. And I don't have to push myself to that place that I am allowed. In fact, I'm welcomed and God wants me to have a certain amount of margin. And in that margin... There's enjoyment in the journey and not always pressure. That as if, if, when I was a young adult, it propelled me to have the best and the brightest view of my future. And when I would talk about it, I could put everybody to shame. And part of it was because I'm a driven guy and part of it was I just needed to have a beautiful, perfect picture of everything. And the idea that I couldn't have it all figured out and didn't have it was too heavy a weight for me. So I filled my life with activities and ultimately became academics and and I thought my identity and my meaning would be found there. And at the end of the day, I discovered that there's a God who is at work and he has power and power to help me to live a life of freedom in the middle of the slavery offered by the world and the slavery of my own fears. And we want that for you. And there are people who aren't in this room that you know that need to engage this conversation with you. You need to be honest with them and say, help me here. Help me figure out what's really going on in me and why am I so driven and why do I push my kids the way I do? Is it really healthy the way we do it, even if my heart is right about it? And you have friends that you need to talk to because they can't see it in their lives, but you can. And God would like to use you to speak truth in a gentle way from a, a voice that they can trust. And so we're going to get through this not as individuals, but as a community, as husbands and wives talking, as parents being honest with their high school kids and saying, we didn't do it all right. And yes, we've got a lot of great stuff, but there are other things that are very important that we got on board in life late with, that, that it was late coming to us how important this stuff is. And we don't want you to make the same mistake. And we're going to help you have margin to not just fill your life, but to do what's important. And it begs the question then, doesn't it? What's important to you really? Really? Is it the stuff? Or could it be something different? No, in the next three weeks, we're going to talk about that as honestly and candidly as we know how. But right now, we're going to take some steps together as a congregation. Would you grab out your Connect card and let's do this together? Your Connect card looks like this. It was inside the flap of the offering envelope on your seat. And around here, every week, we give people a chance to take a next bold step to accept Jesus into their life. It is true that because of the resurrection, you and I can have a connection with God that's eternal, that impacts eternity, but it impacts right now. So I'm wondering if there's anybody in the room that would say, all right, I know that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, but I want him to be Lord of my life. And the truth is he's not right now. But I live my own way and I've made mistakes. The Bible would call you a sinner not a slam on you. It's just an honest description of who you are. You commit sin. You're not perfect. You don't measure up, and you're never going to get to God on your own effort. You're going to fall short. You can try all you want, but you're going to fall short. So God comes to us in grace by giving his son Jesus on the cross, and he says, I'm going to take that sin upon myself. And then he proves that he accepts that by raising Jesus from the dead so that you and I can have life. And he In effect, he raises our deadness to life in him. And then we can walk with him. If you'd like to make Jesus the Lord of your life, it's pretty simple. You say, God, I am not perfect and I want you to be my leader. Would you forgive me and would you save me? You want to do that? We'd ask you to check next step A. 
as an act of your faith and you put that in the offering bucket when it comes by and then we'll communicate with you uh, through the week about what that means. You're not joining our church or signing up to get the mailings or, or we're not asking you for money. You just, we want to send you some information. But in a moment, I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity to use my words or your own words and say to God, God, I, I'm not perfect. I'm distant from you. And I want you to close the gap. I want you to be the leader. The Bible word for that is I want you to be the Lord of my life. Now, how about next step B? Anybody in the room that would say, I want to go public with my faith in baptism. Around here, it's a celebration. And while we may not know the whole story, we come alongside every person that goes public with their faith in baptism and say to them, we're so proud of you for what God has done in your life and what you're allowing him to do. Now, how about next step C? You'll commit this way and say, all right, I don't understand it all, man. I'm not sure 100% on board, but I'm interested. So I'm going to make a commitment to attend all four weeks of detox. Hey, if you can't attend all four, it's just an honest effort to try to attend all four weeks as we explore what it means to get healthy, to get green in our lives and get rid of this other stuff and let the right priorities take first place. If you'd like to do that, check the box. Again, we'll communicate with you through the week. Uh, in one simple email, it says, here's something to keep in mind. How about next step D? Let's drill down on some brass tacks here, all right? I'm going to talk with, and then you fill in the blank. It's your husband, it's your wife, it's your best friend, it's your counselor about my personal lack of margin. Is it in your finances? Is, is, is it in your calendar? Is it emotionally and relationally? You have no room left? And you're going to commit through taking this step that you're going to find this week over the next seven days somebody to have an honest conversation with. As I say that, if you don't have a friend you could do that with, here's something to keep in mind. There are people in this church that would love to be your friend. You have to show yourself friendly and make yourself available. But if you don't have friends that you can have conversations with like this, you don't have the right friends. <laughs> You can take a step in the right direction this week. How about next step E? You would say, I'm going to invite someone to come to 4C with me and engage this topic of margin next week. Somebody you know needs to hear it or somebody you want to talk with about yourself. And you're going to invite them to come and be here so they can get up to speed and then you can have some meaningful conversation around the idea of what's first and how much room we have left to actually pursue it. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord Jesus that you raised from the dead. And because of that, we can have life eternal, but also a pretty incredible life right here. God, we want the power that raised Jesus from the dead to be at work in us. And the truth is it's not in a lot of times. And sometimes it is, and then it disappears. But God, we want to we walk with you. We want to experience the freedom that you call us to. Lord, I pray for each person in this room that's saying right now, God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I'm not perfect. But I want you to lead my life. I'm tired of being in charge. I want you to be in charge. God, would you, would you let them know the truth of your grace and the real forgiveness that's offered and the real fresh start that is in you? And Lord, for those of us that need to get rid of some of the clutter and to think fresh and new about what really matters to us in life, God, I pray that we make a commitment and find the time to be here and invite those that need to be here with us and to have the conversations we need to have. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.